0: Rainbow fentanyl, which is designed to target children, has been found in 18 states. What specifically is the president doing about this?
1: So uh, we just talked about uh, uh, the day, the overdose awareness day that, um, uh, that we are uh, observing today. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives.
0: Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate.
1: A liberal MSNBC hosts warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave.
2: Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve...
3: Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. I'm Michael Duncan. With me today, John Ashbrook. How you doing? I'm doing quite well, friend. We're once again without Josh Holmes or Comfortably Smug. Yeah, someone has to work around here. That's exactly
4: right. We've got a great show for everybody today.
3: Uh, our press secretary isn't working too well, though. <laughs> uh, I, You know what I love about that clip is I feel like this is sort of the, the Democrats' whole M.O. It's like, you know, oh, we're going to solve uh, the opioid epidemic in America. by are just going to raise some awareness. You're talking
4: about, of course, the White House press secretary, Green Jean-Pierre. <laughs> Who was asked, what are you doing about drug overdoses in this country? (laughs) And she's like, yeah, we have uh, opioid awareness
3: day. Right. What? uh, We named it the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, Obviously, it's going to reduce inflation. You know, it's just sort of performative bullshit that accomplishes nothing.
4: And that is the kind of government you get when reporters write everything that you want them to write. No accountability from the press.
3: Exactly. Well, we got a great show for you today. Uh, Our guest today, Harriet Hageman.
4: You know what? I think the audience is really going to love her. She's in it for all of the right reasons, as you'll
3: find out in the in the interview and uh, learn a little bit about Wyoming to boot. Well, and not just that, but also, you know, if you read The Washington Post and The New York Times, you would get one, you know, conception of her, this caricature that the mainstream media uh, would like to present. Yeah. Uh, in fact, she... Uh, has a lot of depth, and, you know, she's whip-smart, incredibly accomplished, and I think she's going to make a fantastic congresswoman.
4: Yeah, I think you're right, and uh, I think she was, she was, obviously a great interview. Uh,
3: we also have a little surprise guest here, uh, longtime listeners of the program, probably remember some of the appearances of Angry Redskins fan. Uh, he will be joining us as well to talk uh, a little bit about the NFL and the college football upcoming, starting tonight uh we got college ball obviously there was week zero in northwestern nebraska over in dublin and everything but it starts in earnest tonight so uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit later on the program but the first topic we got to talk about here is joe biden's approval rating you know there was a little bit of blips there were some blips there in august uh where it looked like a lot of it was rebounding you know he's coming off some some policy wins uh, and the chattering classes were saying, you know, your dark Brandon is is resurgent. Uh, not so fast, my friend.
4: This is according to Reuters. Reuters? Yeah. Reputable outfit. Yeah. Biden's approval falls, holding near low end of his presidency, they found. Joe Biden's public approval rating fell modestly this week, a poor sign for his Democratic Party's hopes in the November 8th midterm elections, according to Reuters Ipsos. The two-day national poll found that 38% <laughs> of Americans approve of Biden's job performance.
3: Yeah, uh, you know, that's down from 41% last week. And the, and, and the Reuters-Ipsos opinion poll, this is like a large national poll. you know. So they're able to sort of find that sentiment change, change in the electorate because it's a very large poll. For Republicans, uh, their top uh, most pressing uh, issues were immigration and crime amongst Democrats. Uh, one in eight saw in the environment as a top issue. It's that's, that's really interesting.
4: Uh, it's very interesting. And I'll tell you what occurred to me when I read that story, um, thinking about the way the media was cheering on Democrats all through the month of August, basically saying that, oh, nope, look, Democrats are probably going to take the Senate, keep the Senate. They, they might even keep the House. It reminded me of that scene from a movie uh, called *A Perfect Storm*. You yeah. remember this with yeah. George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg? Right before their boat capsizes into a forty-foot <laughs> wave, they see the sun yeah. one final time, and George Clooney looks at him, and they they think to themselves, "Maybe, maybe we're going to get out of this." Seconds later, it's nothing but clouds. The the screen goes dark. Ship goes down. <laughs> Everything goes black, and that might be what Democrats are headed for this November.
3: Well, I think so. Uh, and, you know, environment is the top issue from Democrats. They didn't go so well in California. Um, this is uh, California's grid operator says, quote, excessive heat starting tomorrow will stress energy grids. And it may have to, quote, issue a series of emergency notifications. And it expects, <laughs> quote, to call on Californians to voluntary cons- for voluntary conservation.
4: It says California is basically doing everything wrong. Right. I mean, if you open a newspaper, all you see are consequences of terrible policy decisions made decade after decade by people who are chasing headlines but uninterested in con- the consequences for average uh, people just trying to live their lives with light and heat and other things we take for granted on a daily basis
3: right and and california uh is going to be banning all gas powered cars here in the next few years i did see Uh, so you know you can plug your electric car into the grid of course um well i mean how's that going to stress the old grid for california's Um, grid grid not gonna work
4: (laughs) it's 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 not gonna work did you see tucker did you catch tucker talking about this the other night
3: i did i did he absolutely demolished the entire argument let's play that clip
2: People who are making the rules, like Gavin Newsom, from traveling any way they want. They want to control the way that you travel. Now that's California. So you are tempted to say, "Well, okay, California is beautiful, but it's obviously run by lunatics who are turning it into a third-world country. So maybe this is just part of their slate of ideas to wreck the prettiest place on the planet." But no, it's not just California. It's not just happening there. It's also happening in more reasonable places like Virginia. Law in Virginia currently requires gasoline engines, gasoline cars, to be phased out by 2035, which is pretty soon. The states of Massachusetts and Washington have similar laws. So does New York. So does Oregon. In all, 15 states have supported California's plan to force zero emission vehicles, none of which are actually zero emission. They're just electric and can therefore be controlled by the energy grid and the regulators who oversee it. And it's not just 15 states. It's the federal government. According to the Biden administration, everybody will be required to drive an electric car by 2035.
4: Michael, yes what I would like to point out to you is something that Tucker mentioned 2035 is not that long from now right In fact if that happens if the if California in the libs in the federal government and Biden they all get their way and there's no uh, there is no regular gas powered car in 2035, you, my friend, will be teaching both of your boys
3: to drive in a glorified golf cart.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't look forward to that. Although, uh, one thing on on Tucker's monologue there, Glenn Youngkin uh, put out a statement that he's going to be fighting uh, this rule because uh, oh, his predecessor, um, Northam, Blackface Northam, uh, had you know opted into this program with uh with california apparently he's going to reverse that which would be fantastic but i want to get to the other side of that poll the republicans sure uh who you know said immigration and crime you know mm. obviously uh huge issues in this country are, are top of mind for republican voters
4: i think if you ask independence it's it, it, crime is up there too
3: yeah um all right so first immigration right the DEA has put out an official notice warning Americans of the alarming new trend that uh, they began seeing this month with rainbow fentanyl that was at the top of the program. Uh, it's appearing in 18 states. Uh, they say the cartels are using it to appeal to children and young people. I'm just glad it's rainbow-colored. It's it's inclusive fentanyl <laughs> that can that can murder you.
4: Well, that's why the White House felt so comfortable marking the occasion with a special <laughs> day.
3: Um, here's... Uh, <laughs> Here's uh, the uh, more from the press secretary in the New York Post. Um, It's not that simple. This is uh, Jean-Pierre. It's not that simple. It's not just that people are walking across the border. We have a plan in place. This is not like switching the lights on. This is going to take a process, she said, in response to the thousands of migrants crossing the border.
4: I, I don't need to remind our listeners what her predecessor talked about incessantly for like a week. When people were crossing the border illegally and there and there were border patrol agents trying to get them back on the other side of the border, right. and she accused them of whipping these people walking, yeah. now all of a sudden the White
3: House podium says they're not walking. They're not walking. No, it's a, that's not part of the process. Um, well, on to crime. Uh, and some of these headlines are just absolutely stunning, so we'll go through them pretty quickly. You'll get the idea. Uh, here's New York City. Uh, headline... Man accused of mutilating stranger in fatal New York City stabbing back on streets thanks to judge. Hmm. Man knocks woman unconscious, steals her Michael Kors watch in brutal New York City hotel attack. Another one from New York. Major crime continues to surge in New York City up 36% this year.
4: It's just as bad in L.A. Yeah. Out of Los Angeles. LAPD sending 200 more cops to Hollywood as violent crimes surge. Chicago. Chicago pace for six times as many carjackings as eight years ago. And in Philly, teens trash Philly restaurants, sending workers searching for cover as city crime surges.
3: Speaking of Philadelphia, this is just from the last 48 hours. Three people hospitalized after being shot on an elementary school playground. (laughs) Car with two kids inside ambushed a gas station, killing man and injuring boy. Fleeing criminal speeds. Uh, speeds past stopped school bus in Potsdown. man fire shots in air at Market City in Old City or Market Street in Old City suspects caught on camera robbing North Philadelphia Rite Aid at gunpoint
4: jeez but you know did you see the the number of homicides in Philadelphia
3: I'm looking at the bar chart here yeah uh, it doesn't look like good news uh,
4: no it's higher than it's ever been I mean you're looking back straight to 1960 and it is now higher than it has ever ever been in philadelphia
3: well we've got a, a senate race in pennsylvania this year uh you know, the democrat running there john fetterman he's got a, a great plan great plan to address those homicides he says release one-third of inmates reduce sentences for murderers and quote reimagine policing sentences for murderers <laughs> you gotta be kidding me uh joe biden was there recently i guess barnstorming um you know as in his limited capacity to get people excited uh joe biden was in pennsylvania to help um you know get out the the vote for uh fetterman and uh josh shapiro uh let's go to that audio please
1: please elect the attorney general of the senate
3: Elect that big old boy to be governor. <laughs> <laughs> what? Elect that big old boy
4: to be governor? So the attorney general is Josh Shapiro running for governor. <laughs> the big old boy, John Fetterman, is running for Senate. And so, I i mean, to be honest with you, the only guy less capable of putting a, a understandable sentence together than Joe Biden, though, is John Fetterman.
3: Yeah, so John Fetterman had a stroke um a couple of months ago and he's been basically you know hiding out since then he's done a few media appearances or or very controlled he's, uh, interactions with voters
4: he's a completely absentee candidate after serving as a completely absentee lieutenant governor this is not a you know if you listen to connor lamb you listen to others criticize him connor lamb was his opponent in the primary right He's been criticized for being an absentee lieutenant governor. It wasn't the stroke that made him decide not to show up for work. It was that he's just flat lazy. So the problem with John Fetterman, uh, all of the problems with John Fetterman are going to be litigated here over the next two months. He's going to be beaten by Dr. Oz. And um, whether he debates him or not, he's going to lose.
3: Well, you know, I just don't think his position is tenable. I mean, Fetterman's trying to run out the clock on these debates. He doesn't want to debate. Obviously, no. for obvious reasons, his team is trying to stiff arm the entire thing. Uh, new news in that er- area is that John Fetterman says he will not debate Dr. Oz during, quote, the final week of September, citing the Oz campaign statement, basically saying, you know, Dr. Oz was mean to me. And so that <laughs> means that the voters of Pennsylvania don't get to see what my plan is if i'm elected to be their senator this which guy, is which is just like a classic deflection from a guy who can't put two sentences together and is scared to get on a debate stage you know what the
4: the press gave biden a complete pass when he ran for president in 2020 and they're doing the same thing for this guy
3: well i mean it'd be one thing if everybody voted in a, on election day in november and maybe you could figure out a debate you know in in october uh, or later in october but like you know, ballots are going to be in the mail in like a couple of weeks, Mm -hmm. right? Like people are going to be able to vote. So hopefully they can get that figured out. But I wouldn't be surprised if Fetterman stiff arms the whole thing all the way to November. Anyway, back to crime for a second, because it's not just New York. It's not just Chicago. uh, It's not just Philadelphia where crime is rampant right now. Wisconsin. Milwaukee reported the fourth highest increase in homicides this year, according to the Milwaukee Police Department. As of July 27th, MPD data demonstrates that there have been 133 homicides, which represents a 40% increase from the same time in 2021. If the trend continues, the number of murders in Milwaukee will shatter the record of 193 in a single year, which was set in 2021. Worse than 2021. Yikes.
4: Uh, it's, just, it's just getting worse and worse across the country. And if you look at what Democrats are offering, it is zero solution you heard from karine jean about what she's going to do on drug crimes but every one of their senate candidates you are radicals who right. want to let the violent criminals
3: out of jail right and that's the thing it's not it's not just that they they don't want to do anything to address the crime they want to make it worse right they want to be more lenient the the democrat governor uh, tony evers has been a leader in the movement towards leniency on crime and what they call decarceration which is just incredible to and, me. And
4: and what I don't understand why they why don't they delineate between minor crimes and violent crimes? They never they all they seem to just lump it all together. And if you if you look at what's happening in New York, you look at what's happening in Chicago, L.A., Philly, all these all these places right. that we've talked about. A lot of these crimes are being committed by people who have previously committed violent crimes.
3: Right. In fact, some of those people get released. You know, pending trial, Mm -hmm. you know people who've committed violent crimes, and then they go out and they reoffend before even the trial date. But crime has come to Washington D.C. That's right, and it
4: has affected our friends, beloved Washington Redskins team.
3: Yeah, the uh, running back Brian Robinson. Crime in D.C. is terrible (laughs) right now. He's released from the hospital after being shot in a robbery attempt. Angry Redskins fan. You're here. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, I'm upset. I'm upset. And I'm upset about a lot of things around the Redskins. I'm upset that Mayor Bowser has has let this city go to hell where our number one running back, the promise of the Redskins' future. You don't have a lot of promises. Was shot in the knee in his own automobile. Yeah. I mean. Oh, he was in his own car. He was in his car driving down H Street, you know, very, you know. People, people, go out in Eighth Street, right? You know, it's a it's a common area, and and he's just cruising down, and
4: uh, but he was shot in the legs, in his yeah, in his knee, in his knee, a running back in his knee. So, isn't there some suspicion that this is this is like a
3: hit, like a like a Tanya Harding situation? I'm we got a back, we got a backup. I'm not gonna get
0: into. Uh, <laughs> Into <laughs> conspiracy theories, so but I have, me. but I have seen it, Brian Robinson the week before was named the number one starting running back. So it yeah. is, it is, it is interesting. It's interesting timing for sure. But I don't, I don't I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into that. It's, uh, it's clearly Mayor Bowser's fault for allowing this to happen in in our beloved city and to our beloved running back. I mean, he, he was clearly the Redskins were going they made all the all the right moves
3: this year. I mean, I would disagree. They they took the Colts leftovers. Well let we we start with
0: making the most important move this offseason in the NFL, the Redskins got
4: Carson Wentz. <laughs>
0: and we, we absolutely <laughs>
4: fleeced the Colts.
3: I, I don't know. We got Matty Ice. I feel Who's pretty good about it. Fleeced the Colts. Sure. Who's he gonna throw to? Jahan Dotson, uh, Jahan
0: Dotson from yep. from Penn, Penn State. State, and then and then Terry McLaurin, yeah, two great wide receivers. I mean, the offense loaded with weapons. We <laughs> what great fortune, Brian Robinson fell in the draft to us, And Alabama Crimson Tide running back. He's the future of the Redskins, and praise praise the Lord before we move on from him. The bullet went clean through his knee. Somehow missed everything, and, and hopefully he'll be back shortly to save the Redskins season.
4: Wow. I mean, if he if he's walking out on the field within the next few weeks, it's not only is it a miracle, but like that team is going to be up. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure ESPN has a 30
0: for 30. You getting ready Exactly. Going.
4: Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. How, how do you how do you think how do you Rookie think, of the year? How do you think Skins are going to do uh in the division? How are they yeah, going to
0: do? Yeah, them? so it, so made all the right moves, you know. We had one of the last last rated defenses in the league last year. Well, we decided we'll keep it intact. We won't make any real changes. Kept all the defensive backs, no improvement to the linebacker core. We're we're we excited. We we kept five tight ends on the roster this year. Oh that's okay. <laughs> so so we're, a we're real doing, check down off. It's it's big brain stuff going on that a lot of people yeah. wouldn't understand. Yeah. But I I have faith. I have faith. We got great new uniforms as we've discussed, a new fight song, which Ugh. is which is exciting. Okay. Um, so,
4: but as you as you as you look across the conference, where is the biggest competition? I mean, who who do you think who do you think comes out on top at the end of the season in, in your conference?
0: Um, I think in in the best conference in the NFL. The That's NFC, absurd. It is the absurd. An, the yeah. NFC East. Yeah. It's it's clearly the most storied. It's always it's always <laughs> tough, hard nosed, gritty football. Uh, um. I think the Redskins are going to come out on top. No way,
3: no possible way.
0: Yeah, I mean the Giants. The Giants stink. They stink, right? Yeah. So they're not a problem. Dallas, I don't, I don't think have it this year. I think they overperformed last year. I don't think they have it. I think it's going to be between the the, the, the crime towns, Philadelphia <laughs> and and DC. Um, but I, I, I think uh, at the end of the day, Carson Wentz is uh, is going to take us to the promised land.
4: Well, Michael, I know you agree with me that the real Super Bowl this season is actually the AFC Championship game. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and and I know that you've you've had your eyes on what's going to happen in the AFC this season. So why don't you tell everybody what you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, well, I think number one, I think the NFC East is garbage. Um, I think the AFC that, that's one of the hottest mm-hmm. stakes in all football. I, I I peg the Redskins at uh, I think they'll have a six and eleven season. Um, I would take Vegas a, has us at eight. Okay. I would take an over under at seven, uh, and I would take the under. Um, but I think the AFC East will be very, very interesting. I'm curious, uh, how well the dolphins are this year. I think they Pat- could be pretty
4: good. Actually. Yeah. I think
3: the Patriots are going to have a little bit of a down year. Um, and you know, I think. Tariq Hill, mm-hmm. you know, Dolphins got Tariq Hill. Yeah. I yeah. think two is going to come together. I think they that's can make a, some. That's noise. an exciting
0: combo. I yeah.
3: think it's a good combo, dude. I you know, it's but that's not all the AFC has. I think the AFC West is going to be really interesting. This Chargers, year. Chargers, I think are going to be good. I think the Raiders, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are sort of hyping them. I mean, we'll see how far Derek Carr can actually. This is his year to prove it, I think. He has to prove if he really is It's been his year to prove it for right. <laughs> however right. long. But I think he's got all the pieces in place now and you know, I mean that I mean I think that might be the toughest division in yeah. football this year. Broncos with Wilson. Right. Right. Yeah.
4: Um I but think your Colts have retooled in the offseason.
3: They have. I think I think the division They will- lost a great quarterback though. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's a slight improvement. I mean, with the de- with the defense that the Colts have and, you know, Jonathan Taylor at running back, all we really needed was a game manager, you know, and Carson Wentz refused to be that. Like he he would just huck, he would just chuck it deep and throw a pick, refuse to, to play within the system and manage the game. We just need a guy to manage the game. So Matty Ice is coming there, Ice in his veins. He's going to deliver. Uh, I think the Colts will win the division. which I don't think is a huge accomplishment. I think it's going to be a down year for the division overall. So, you know, and I know this is when John Ashbrook wants to talk about his Bengals.
0: I feel like the Bengals aren't getting enough respect. They don't. They they went to the Super Bowl, and and people are kind of like, oh, they're going to be back to mediocre.
3: No, they absolutely don't
4: get enough respect. That's why I was interested to (laughs) hear. Classic Midwest. That's why I was interested to hear what Duncan's views on the rest of the AFC were, because I'm just trying to get a sense of who people think the Bengals are going to play in the championship game. Oh. you talk about a team that retooled. I mean, they have three brand-new starting offensive linemen. They needed they, it. They had, They did need it. They did need it. If for p- folks who missed that final play of the Super Bowl, Jamar Chase had his guy beat.
3: The Bengals would have won the Super Bowl if Joe Burrow had it was one there. more split. It was second. right there. For listeners of the Variety program, you need to know that John Ashbrook reminds us of that fact, that Jamar Chase was open. Uh, once a week?
0: I would say Monday morning at about 9:10. Every, <laughs> like, every Monday. It like sets mid. his alarm. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But the reality
4: is that, you know, the retooled O line just. It, uh, the three re- top receivers on the Bengals: T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase. These these might be the it's might be the greatest three receivers ever assembled in an I, NFL team. Nah, I don't
3: know. I, mean, I think did, Tyler really Boyd's was. a little <laughs> overrated. Yeah.
4: Okay. Come on. He would be the number one receiver on the Washington Redskins. Terry
0: McLaurin is is a top ten wide receiver. Uh, that okay. that's a crazy that's oh, a crazy comment.
4: We'll see. That's a crazy comment.
0: I don't defend the Redskins in pretty much anything. I, but Terry McLaurin is actually a star.
4: We'll see how well he does this year. But they open everything up for Joe Mixon. We got a brand new tight end from the Falcons, this guy Hayden Hurst. He's going to play very well. And I just think that the Bengals, the Bengals play with a chip on their shoulder. Joe Burrow is a phenomenal quarterback. This team is going to be very, very exciting to watch. And by the way, Cleveland Browns have had some movement. They're not going to have their starting quarterback. Sean Watson's had his problems, as everybody who's a fan of the NFL is well aware. <laughs> um, but their team looks pretty good. They look good in the preseason. They're their offensive line is stellar they have some of the best guards in the in the game nick chubb is going to be playing well i think the cleveland browns are going to be pretty good i think the cleveland browns who play in baltimore some people call them the ravens they're going to be pretty good the afc north is actually except for the steelers afc north might be the strongest division in football.
0: i think i think the most disgusting franchise outside of the cowboys is the ravens and i i hope they go over this year. I, I mean, I. I, 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 could, why? Ugh, I trash I, organization. I, 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 I trash Hold on. You're I a not. fan
3: of the Redskins and you're calling them Ravens? I'm, the I'm Ravens? a man
0: of integrity. Okay. <laughs> Your you're,
3: players are getting shot. Your owner's a the Ravens, the scumbag. Ravens,
0: the Ravens have had cocaine dealers. Okay. Wife beaters. Yeah. Allegedly. And Mer, And, allegedly. Mer, and no, the wife beaters, not. Oh yeah, no, that that's was on, that's on yeah, that's he on tape. He dragged her out of the elbow. Yeah, yeah, and a murder.
4: Yeah, allegedly. And, uh, whether that's allegedly or not, I, uh, look. here's here's the thing. I don't like the Cleveland Browns no matter what uniform they're wearing. <laughs> but the reality is, Lamar Jackson is a hell of an athlete. Yeah, and I think that the Ravens are going to be a
3: very good football team this year.
0: Yeah, he just he just chokes.
3: I think. Look, I think the AFC North um, could be interesting. I just, I just think AFC West and AFC East are going to be the most interesting divisions to watch in the conference. I just think there's going to be a lot of parity there. There's going to be a lot of interesting things, and then also the NFC West. You know, like yeah, can the, Trey Lance get it done? The Niners. You know, and I mean, you know, the Rams are obviously going to be good again. You know, I mean, it could be an interesting division as well. How about
0: how about that fight uh, between the? The Rams and uh, the Bengals. Oh, man. For for folks
4: who didn't see it, they had a joint practice, the Rams and the Bengals, two Super Bowl contenders, had a joint practice last week, and Aaron Donald picked up two Bengals helmets and started swinging them at guys. And, you know, they were just getting a little bit hot under the collar. A few plays left in 11-on-11, and these these guys were just getting amped up. And so... Uh, I just think it's evidence that all these guys are ready to play and not a moment too soon. Before we get to college football, because I know we have college football tonight, tonight, including Michael Duncan's favorite team, I just want to go around the table and get Super Bowl champion predictions. A real prediction, not just your your favorite team. Mm. Angry Redskins fan.
0: Real prediction? Real prediction. A real prediction, as Hollywood Hen would say. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, I'm interested in what Duncan has to say. Let me, let me, let me stew on that. Defer. Okay. It's
3: deferring. Um, you know what? I'm going to say the chargers. I think the chargers love that. I think the chargers are going to surprise a bunch of people. I think Herbert's going to step up and be an elite quarterback. And, uh, I think they're going to come out of a very tough division. And I think, you know, a crucible makes the best uh, the best metal.
0: I think the Rams are going to do it again. Yeah, I I think that that team's just loaded, and I, they didn't they didn't really change. I think McVay is a great football coach, and uh, you know they're going to because they're in the NFC. I don't think they're going to have as much wear and tear. So on them. so
3: so, but the reason why I didn't say them is the same reason I didn't say the Buffalo Bills. Is I, feel I would love like, for the Bills. To I go and out. I would and I would too. You know, I think Josh Allen you know great quarterback and you would love to see that franchise get to get a a ring but i just feel like kind of like with politics uh the next election's never like the last election the nfl's that way too yeah And like you think like oh yeah rams bills like pencil it in or Bengals. yeah just to be fair to our friend here john but then like for whatever reason it never works out that way unless you're tom brady
4: yeah um i actually think we're gonna see a repeat I think Rams, Bengals, and Bengals win. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be biased I, at all.
0: I, I thought we weren't doing goofs.
4: Yeah, uh, I, thought, I thought we were doing it's, serious it's, picks. It's been thirty years since I could offer my favorite team as a serious pick. I'm going to take the opportunity. So, who do you, when it comes.
0: so, so, who do you think's the AFC championship? Since, since both of you seem to think that's the real Super Bowl, who is that well,
3: going
4: to be? Bills,
0: Bangs, Chargers.
3: I have Chargers win.
4: Um, man, the Bills are going to be awfully tough. They are. Uh, I. I don't know. I don't know. I'd say I'd say I'd say Bills. I'd say Bills Bengals. Yeah. Bec- I'd say Bills Bengals. In, it, it in is Buffalo, mur- it is murder in the going snow to the AFC there. Yeah. Think about how great that game would be if the game was in the snow. I mean like there's nothing better than football and and now we've got college football I mean, if they, if they, if tonight. If, if the Chargers have
3: yeah. Just okay, angry Redskins fan before I move on from college football. Chargers, Chiefs, Raiders, Bengals, Bills. Yeah. Will you admit that the AFC is a better conference?
0: <sighs> oh. Too many question marks in the NFC. Unbelievable!
3: <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, so tonight we've got uh, college football. Which, um,
0: which now because of Dan Snyder, I'm a college football guy. Yeah, I, I'm more excited about the start of college ball than than the NFL.
3: Okay, what are you most excited for?
0: Well, last year my Alabama
3: Crimson Tide, it was a rebuilding year. So <laughs> this' <That laughs> so the so, most obnoxious so, thing I've ever heard come out of Nick Saban's mouth. So
0: Coach Didway does best. He retooled. He he reloaded and we're loaded for Bear and I I think the the Crimson Tide's going to win themselves another national championship this year and I'm very excited for it. I mean this this is going to be a football program.
4: Hmm. Okay. Duncan is is not convinced.
3: He's a huge Big Ten fan. Yeah, well, you right know, away. I mean, that's sort of my bit on Twitter is that the Big Ten's the number one conference in college football. Obviously, the SEC's good. But, you know, if you want defense, if you want real pro-style college football, there's only one place you can go, and that's obviously the Big Ten. Big Ten fan right here. Um, I'm going to be paying close attention to the Penn State-Purdue game, which, like, why are we opening the season with like in conference action? It's, it's a great opener. I'm I'm
0: so excited for it. Yeah, like, that's great Thursday night ball to start us off. in college. I know you as a fan probably don't like yeah, it, but yeah.
3: Like, well, you know, for those who listeners who don't know, I was born in in Pennsylvania. My grandpa went to Penn State, so I've always had a soft place in my heart for uh, the Nittany Lions. I remember when they won that Rose Bowl against Oregon. Kajana Carter, Kerry Collins. Those are the glory days of Penn State. Uh, they haven't had a lot of glory days since then. We had a few brushes with, you know, mm-hmm. national championship glory, but but not quite there. Uh, Sean Clifford coming back for what seems like his 17th season. Um, you know, he might get on Social Security before he graduates. Uh, I'm I have mixed feelings about that. You like to have a veteran, you know, under center. But, you know, has he hit the top of his playing potential? We'll see. We'll see yeah you know Purdue could throw the ball 50 times that game you know they don't have much of a rushing attack the Penn State struggled with that um is it is it at Penn State no it's at Purdue oh it's at Purdue oh, West Lafayette Ooh, it's Ooh, in Wa- a, West Lafayette no, come on West oh, I being, went that's a tough bar I went to I went to <laughs> IU I can tell you uh West Lafayette's not exactly like you know you're, it's not like you're playing in the swamp, you know? You better hold Come on. Come on, man. Hold on to your best. I would not.
4: Pride <laughs> goes before the fall. There is no quick way to get to West Lafayette.
3: I think I think it's going to be an interesting test of strength versus strength. I think Purdue's going to throw the ball a lot. I think Penn State's got a really good secondary this year. Uh, a little bit of rebuilding in the linebacker core. Uh, defensive line should be stronger, especially up the middle. I mean, P.J. Mustaford will be Really solid, so it, I think that'll be the interesting story of, of the game. Um, so I think Penn State will win, but I think it should be a good game.
4: Okay, so for folks uh, betting on the app of their choice tonight, yeah, um, what would you recommend? Just the straight up, just the straight up. Um, Nittany lines to win. I, I think uh,
0: Penn State's favored by three and a
4: half. Just by the way.
3: Yeah, three, uh, Penn State's favored by three three and a half. Yeah, I mean, it's on the road. It's the first game of the season. You know, I I hate to bet on teams I care about. In fact, I'm a big believer in the emotional hedge. Mm, I I actually, as a Redskins fan, <laughs> I I love the pain. I always bet on the teams I I love.
0: If I'm
4: gonna <laughs> if I'm gonna hurt, I'm gonna hurt. But think think about the Boilermakers. They're all going to bed in their own beds tonight. They're all getting up early and they'll be hungry to welcome the heir apparent. Into their house. I'm I'm
0: taking the Penn State line.
4: I'm I'm taking the spread. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll be there with you.
0: I have have Penn State spread this week and next.
4: You know, I think I'm going to go Boilermakers because there is (laughs) nothing that a Midwestern fan loves more than an underdog, and if... (laughs) Uh, so
3: They're like a three point dog. Like, what are you talking about?
4: If, if Purdue. What a What a friend. If Purdue knocks off these, like, I mean, if, if they knock off Goliath, it will Goliath? be the shot for the World.
0: Is Penn State even right? No. <laughs>
3: Unbelievable. Goliath. Uh, I'm actually really excited for the Cincinnati. Uh, Arkansas game as well.
4: Yeah, Cincinnati's lost a lot of players after last season. And, and one of the things a lot of people don't know who maybe watch Cincinnati go so deep into the into the college football playoffs, at a great, <laughs> great season.
0: <laughs> who do who they lose to? Who, who ended up... Uh, a
4: ended a the team run. who had a rebuilding year. Yeah, uh, they but they, but But UC has a great coach, this guy Luke Fickle. He's been around a lot. He's committed to the school. Uh, but UC had multiple guys on their team last year who were sixth year players because yeah. of some of the rules that were instituted during covid guys were allowed to stay, redshirt guys were even allowed to stay longer and longer and longer so you had a team of veteran people who probably belonged in the nfl very good team they lost a few of them they actually still haven't solved their quarterback um they, they fickle hasn't made a decision about who's going to start a quarterback at uc for the the bearcats this season but we're going to find out before saturday um
3: uh the arkansas game is going to be tough I, Arkansas, Arkansas brings right. everybody back. Plus, plus on the other side of the ball, uh, Arkansas's quarterback KJ Jefferson, great player. I think he's one of the most electric players in college football. They they lost their wide receiver, who is like yeah. the best wide receiver in the league. But but he can make plays with his feet. He can buy time. Um, I mean, I like Arkansas in I that think game. Ar- I, I'm I'm pro Goliath in this situation here.
0: I think Arkansas.
3: If we're calling Arkansas Goliath, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I I I think. Uh, Arkansas is going to absolutely smoke the Bearcats.
3: Yeah. So, so, but there's also some real Goliaths playing here over the course of the weekend. Uh, You got Georgia and Oregon. um, And then you've got, you know, Notre Dame, Ohio State. Uh, Those should be some really good matchups. Yeah, that's great ball.
4: Yeah, that's a a great opening weekend. I mean, they really set it up well. This Georgia-Oregon game is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think Kirby Smart's got another excellent team he's going to put on the field this year. Um, and I, I gotta be, I, dude. I think they can beat Alabama. <laughs> okay.
0: I look, they, they. I think their entire defense was drafted last year. Yeah. They, I mean, and I, and I know they have great D players coming in, but I just, I just don't see it. I just, I, 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 just, I, I, I like, I love I like, Alabama fans. I mean, I, I love
3: like Kirby
4: it. Smart. I like Kirby Smart. I, I, did you hear what he told the guys? He said, "You are the hunted." Everybody's out there hunting you, so I, I just think there's so much about football. Al- that's Alabama's psyche. been the
0: hunted their entire entire okay. career.
3: Okay, um, I think every time um, you know you have week one of college football and the rankings come out and all that, there's always a team that drastically underperforms their preseason ranking. Yeah, yeah. My bet to do that is Notre Dame.
0: Yeah, I mean they're five. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna they they're not a. I think Ohio State will boat race them. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's a runaway. I think CJ Stroud's just so good. I don't, I don't even see that that game really being that close. It's a great first week game. Yeah, I don't
4: see it being that good. The 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 other it's in it's in Columbus too. I think.
3: Yeah, the other one I'm interested to see, kind of for the same reason, is the Utah Florida game. That Utah Florida game is going to be great. Yeah, there's that, U- Utah's ranked seventh. Like, do they deserve it? We'll see. Yeah, they're
0: six. There's okay. six and 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 Florida has a new head coach and you know they they've underperformed in the last couple of years but but a lot of people are pretty high on on some of the people they brought in the coach Billy Napier's really great coach I could see that being being a a pretty good ball game there other game outside of that is. We have great fortune to have a Sunday college football game. Yes, and a Monday. And a Monday. Clemson, Georgia Tech, Monday. Monday, LSU and Florida State on Sunday. And that's a great ball game.
4: I'd love to see uh, Florida State just roll over LSU. There is no coach in college football I like less than Brian Kelly. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's
4: because fake accent. Cause of, is it because of Cincinnati? Well, you know, he's done the same thing multiple times to multiple schools. So he was at Central Michigan, and yeah. he told them, oh, I love you guys so much. I love you. And the next thing, he was out the door to Cincinnati. Yeah. Oh, I love you guys in Cincinnati. Just a real special place. Next thing, he was out the door to Notre Dame. Oh, you guys, are, you're the best. And all of a sudden, he's at LSU. Yeah. He is the phoniest coach you've ever seen, and it's just a matter of time before he is – Done with LSU and off to just, being like a quarterback's assistant coach in the NFL. I just
0: love. I just <laughs> he keeps love failing in the right direction though. And to show how fake he is in his first press conference, he had a he had a deeper Louisiana accent than Coach O.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's incredible, man! The
0: guy was straight out of the swamp. He all did. of a sudden,
4: <laughs> he'd been hunting gators his entire life, eating crawfish.
0: <laughs> Dinners. a loser. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, that is our uh, <clears throat> that is our football update. Uh good luck betting and enjoy the games. Angry Redskins fan, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate It's always it.
0: great to be on here. Thank you treat. so much for
3: having me. What uh, a treat. So, we had some light news. We're going to continue with some more light news and a follow-up here. We got a macaque war Oh, boy. Uh, with civilian casualties. What's happened, Mike? Uh, monkey hunters accidentally shoot tranquilizer into woman who reported rogue ape. What? From the New York Post. Yeah, they missed the target by a few, <laughs> a few million years of evolution. I just love that writing. The <laughs> monkey hunting mission backfired spectacularly after a bumbling gunman accidentally shot a woman with a tranquilizer dart, knocking her out for an hour. the comedy of errors was set in motion after reports surfaced of a japanese macaque also known as a snow monkey lurking near fu fuji kawa station in fuji city huh um it reminds
4: you of that scene where will ferrell shoots himself with the the tranquilizer yeah um i wonder if something similar happened to this lady i hope she's okay yeah, I love that scene. You
3: got a dart in your neck. Yeah. That's a great <laughs> great One of
4: the all-time comedy hits. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, there's no tranquilizer involved with the banana plan. Right. If they would just spread bananas over an Olympic sized pool, the monkeys jump in for the banana. They drown in the pool. No need for a tranquilizer. You save
3: money. Yeah, you you think at this point and you save lives. At this point, it's gone on long enough that you got to bring in lethal force, Mm-hmm. right? Like, why are we still doing tranks? No, like, I, makes
4: no sense. It, it makes no sense at all. You got to be serious. These monkeys are serious. If the monkeys if the monkeys could
3: shoot tranks and real bullets at people, they would do it. <laughs> <laughs> um. And, you know, that's sort of <clears throat> bad news uh, for that woman. But we have got some good news as well. Uh, Washington Post layoffs. <laughs> frustration <laughs> mounts. Brutal. I know, it's brutal. Uh, frustration <laughs> mounts to the Washington Post as its business struggles with digital subscriptions and digital advertising revenue stagnating. The company is on a pace to lose uh, money this year.
4: What caught my attention was the New York Times cheerleading the decision. I don't know if you, you saw this, but they actually sent out a push notification on the news update about the Washington Post. And, you know, it, it's not like the New York Times is readable and the Washington Post isn't. They're basically the same publication from different
3: cities. Well, look, I don't love uh, cheering on people losing their jobs, but when I think of some of the, you know, editorials that have come out of the Washington Post in the last few years I don't exactly shed a tear you know I think back to like Dana Milbank calling Mitch McConnell a Russian asset do you remember that I, I can't forget it and you know I, I, is he going to be fired as you know or is he bringing in the revenue for the Washington Post far be
4: it from me to make a suggestion to such an a, an a feat organization <laughs> as the successful Washington Post but maybe if they provided information and uh for people maybe if they provide they were more in the information business they were more in the in the journalism business shall we say and less in the democrat cheerleading business more people would read the stories how Where, about, how about right. stories that cover both sides well, i mean and, and, I, don't, I don't mind i don't mind a story that attacks republicans how about writing a story that attacks democrats And you've
3: you've, you've you've touched on the exact problem with their business model right because if they spend all of their their time cheerleading for Democrats, when Democrats are in power and ostensibly responsible for the bad things that are happening in our country, suddenly those dem resistance subscribers don't like reading the news anymore. It says here from the the story, the Post now has fewer than 3 million paying digital subscribers. It had hailed internally near the end of 2020. Digital ad revenue generated by the Post fell to roughly 70 million during the first half of the year, about 15% lower than it was in 2021. Yeah, all those people that you got to sign up saying they were going to fight Donald Trump suddenly don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, they, they
4: they they aren't the only media company that used the Trump name and the Trump conflict to really goose their numbers for a short period of time, and then all of a sudden you get a president who can barely put two sentences together and is not not interesting at all, um, and you've made a decision to not cover him critically. There is interesting stuff happening with this administration, uh, Hunter Biden, other things that are happening. That there are very talented reporters at the Washington Post that who could they could uncover it, they could present conflict that's happening. Right. But there's a reluctance, there's a cultural reluctance to be too critical of a Democrat in office.
3: Right. Right. Well, I, mean, I think it's interesting to note. You know, uh, Fred Ryan, the chief executive and publishers uh, floated the idea of maybe cutting a hundred positions in the newsroom. Um, but uh, their competitors, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, have actually added subscriptions since Trump left office. So it's possible. You just got to change your business model to one that delivers news.
4: Yeah, I I just, I think that news is what people are, information, let me just, information is what people are interested in. They have such a limited amount of time in their day to consume something of value to them, and they they know what they're going to get when they turn on MSNBC. Right. They know what they're going to get when they turn on Primetime Fox. And I'm not do- I'm not dogging either of those net both of those networks have they uh, have, have a niche, they have, a niche. Yep. they have something that they're going for. But you, you you have a whole swath of people in this country who don't have the time to listen once again to the same broadcast they've heard for the last 20 years. They want something very quick that is fact-based and not like trying to convince them that Climate change is going to end the world tomorrow morning, or convince them that some like Trump outrage of the day is going to end our country uh, by next week. You know, like they they want, they want, they they just they just want unvarnished facts and let them decide. You know, it's really what kind of what Fox set out to do at the beginning with the you we report, you decide. And you know, there 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 are journalists out there who are doing this. There are editors out there who are assigning these people to good stories. There are publishers out there who are publishing this information. It's just,
3: it's really hard to get right now. Speaking of good stories, uh, a wonderful story from the New York Post, and I wish Smug was here to cover it because he would absolutely love this. Uh, Here's the uh, headline. Pilot threatens to end flight due to airdrop nudes. Oh, boy. Quote, quit sending naked pictures. So, um, you know, basically now for, for... You know our our listeners who maybe are a little bit older, a little you know the boomers like smug who are not as good with technology. Um, (laughs) You can airdrop photos to people in your vicinity, and apparently that was happening on this flight. Uh, (laughs) It's uh, a Southwest flight. Uh, Of course, of course. Uh, A Southwest pilot uh, helming a flight to Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, recently took to the plane's intercom and threatened to return the aircraft to its departure gate at the airport if passengers didn't stop sending nude photos to him via iPhone's airdrop feature. I can't believe this. Through through airdrop, iPhone users are able to send digital files to other Apple products in close range without using Wi-Fi or cellular data. So here's the deal. This is the quote. So here's the deal. Could you imagine having to give this announcement? If this continues while we're on the ground, I'm going to have to pull back to the gate. Everybody's going to have to get off. We're going to have to get security involved, and your vacation is going to be ruined. (laughs) What a nightmare. It's incredible. The the footage, which has garnered more than 2.2 million views, was shared by TikTok user Tay Mars. So you folks, whatever that airdrop thing is, quit sending naked pictures and let's get yourself to Cabo. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Why is a pilot looking at his phone? Shouldn't he be looking at the flight plan? Yeah, the... you think if he's pulling back from the gate, you know, <laughs> he'd, have, he'd have better things to do than or, to... Or, or maybe you just don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Unrequested nudes? Yeah.
4: You just you just show it to the co-pilot and you say, can you believe yeah,
0: that? So, <laughs> that's a dream for some of us. I don't, I don't know what he's complaining about. Why don't you why don't you get him to Cabo a little quicker?
3: Uh, um, well, I think it's time that we get to this interview, uh, Harriet Hageman from Wyoming. Let's get right to it. I want to welcome to the program Harriet Hageman. How are you?
1: I'm really good, Michael. How are you today?
3: I'm j- I'm fantastic. I-, I really appreciate you coming in studio. These interviews, and John Ashbrook's here with me as well, these interviews are always better when you're in the same room.
1: I think so, too. You can watch body language and see how people are interacting and, and, re- and uh, reacting to questions. Right. And so I would much prefer to be here in person, and it's wonderful to meet both of you.
3: Well, we really appreciate it. Um, you know, you've got you've had a lot going on. <laughs> um, you know, our listeners are probably familiar with the, the primary you just won against Liz Cheney. Um, you know, but obviously there's a lot, I think, that because of the way the media characterizes these things and they love when Republicans are in primaries against each other and they can talk about Republican infighting. And everything, I, I think there's probably a lot about you that they don't know
1: i think that's fair
3: um so can you tell us a little bit about your background and why you got into
1: politics well sure i am a fourth generation wyomingite my great-grandfather came to wyoming from texas in 1878 on a cattle trail And I have a large, large, large extended family throughout Wyoming. Um, All of my brothers and sisters, my mother's still there, lots of nieces and nephews, cousins and things like that. I graduated from a little tiny school called Lingo Fort Laramie High School. There were 125 kids in all four grades, 9th through 12th. I went from there to a, a community college. I went to Casper College on a livestock judging scholarship. And then I went to the University of Wyoming where I received both my bachelor's degree and my law degree. I've been practicing law for 33 three years. I'm a water and natural resource attorney, a constitutional attorney, a trial attorney. Yesterday, in fact, I had a hearing here in Washington, D.C., in front of the Court of Federal Claims. I'm continuing to practice law uh, for uh, protecting some of the clients that I have against the federal government, primarily. So this was a case against the EPA, and I argued it yesterday, and we won. It was a great victory, and I'm pretty excited about the case. So that's just a bit about my background, and hopefully we'll talk more about that with our our, our discussions today.
3: That That's 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 fascinating. And, you know, the the media would like to paint uh, in lionizing Liz Cheney sort of paint a caricature of you. And, you know, they would never talk about your background and qualifications or, you know, this. Can you tell us a little bit more about this case? You Sure.
1: It's a a case that you may very well know about. Seven years ago, the EPA was working on the Gold King Mine in southwestern Colorado and punched through the the portal and released three million gallons of of mine waste and 880,000 pounds of heavy metals into the Animas River. It was the Orange River seen around the world. Mm -hmm. Well my client is the owner of that mine and the land down below. And after they created one of the worst environmental disasters in US history, they went in and took my client's property Mm -hmm. and built a water treatment facility it's been there for almost seven years and they've never paid him a dime in rent Jeez. so we filed a lawsuit in the court of federal claims we're seeking millions of dollars in damages for an unconstitutional takings and yesterday there was a hearing on the feds motion to dismiss because that's what they do they try to continue to abuse people as, <laughs> as much as they can as they go through these processes we're getting a lot of that lately yes here we in are yes we are and this is just another example of that but yeah. the judge uh, saw this situation for what it was he denied their motion to dismiss gave us a great roadmap of what we need to do in terms of our proof and I think that we're ultimately going to prevail and we will finally uh, get some relief for our client after the federal government did what it did.
4: Wow. Well it's it's hard to imagine any candidate who would be better qualified to represent a gigantic state like Wyoming than someone who just described her life the way you did. Community college, state school right there just singing right to the hearts of all of our listeners but also your family you have a ton of family in the state Mm -hmm. and it goes back generations and that really means something in Wyoming
1: it means a lot and one of the things that I think that we're missing in this country right now is accountability And so it's one of my biggest issues. I have been traveling the country for years giving a speech called regulation without representation. And I've done a very deep dive into how Congress has abdicated its responsibilities and turned over most of the lawmaking anymore to administrative agencies and unelected bureaucrats, Mm -hmm. whether at the EPA, the US Fish and Wildlife Service, the Bureau of Land Management, Department of Transportation, NIH, Anthony Fauci, you can go on and on and on. And what has happened is it makes it so that our elected officials Are no longer accountable to us. Mm. And one of the things that I often said about Liz Cheney was I was going to hold her accountable not just by voting against her but running against her. Our elected officials need to be accountable to us. That's how our republic is set up. We've got the separation of powers. Congress is the only body that should be legislating, but they're not. They're turning it over to unelected bureaucrats that are not accountable to us because they're not dependent upon us for their job. They don't get elected to anything. And so when I was often asked on the campaign, how do we know you will be accountable to us in wyoming liz cheney wasn't other people haven't been and i said because i will always be accountable to my family and my family's in (laughs) wyoming i have over 40 immediate family members within 150 miles of where i live wow and so I will be accountable to them. I was raised to be accountable to my state. I was raised to fight for Wyoming. I was raised to fight for our values. And I will continue to do that in Congress. I know who is who, who I am accountable to. And I think that the only way we're going to get our country back is if we have like-minded people who recognize how our system is supposed to work and we start taking power away from these uh, administrative agencies. And
4: you got to think that this, is exactly what the framers had in mind when they came up with the idea of real
3: representative government
4: that's
1: exactly right but
3: i mean too many in washington have you know in congress have abdicated that responsibility of legislating to the executive branch i mean just with this um you know executive order that the biden administration had on the student loan issue it's just another perfect example of that and maybe it'll be found out to be unconstitutional but you know, it seems like Congress kind of goes along with abdicating its own oversight and responsibility. I mean, where do you see that being, you know, a really
1: egregious problem?
3: Well, almost
1: across the board. Yeah. What happened with the COVID response? Anthony Fauci, Anthony Fauci should have been fired. Anthony Fauci failed us on every single level because in part he was withholding information. He wasn't helping us to understand and figure out what happened in China. He was attempting to cover it up. He wasn't trying to help us figure out where the money went. He was trying to cover it up. When they started saying, oh no, we can't have any discussions about therapeutics or other forms of treatment, that wasn't to help the American citizens. That was to cover up. And that's what's happened with so much of this. But he's never going to be held accountable because He's, he was never elected to anything and so yes they have abdicated their responsibilities and we need to change that we need the legislative branch to step up and rightfully reclaim what it is that they're supposed to be doing but these are the kinds of things they do so here's my client southwestern colorado the feds come in build a multi-million dollar water treatment facility on his property not only without his permission but without his knowledge and then after the fact said, came to him and said, We need you, we need you to sign this consent document saying we can do that. And he said, No, I want you to pay me for it. And they said, No, that really isn't the way that this works. And he said, That land is worth a lot of money. I want you to pay me X amount of month per month for the for, for the use of my property. And they said, No, that really isn't the way it works. And if you don't let us use your land, we're gonna fine you fifty-nine thousand dollars mm. a day. Jeez. A day. <laughs>
3: That's just outrageous.
4: If you
1: do not let us use your property. So he's like, well, okay, I guess I don't really have a choice. And then when he finally sues, they come in and say, he doesn't get to suit. He gave consent. Uh. That's how these agencies work. I've worked for farmers, like a farmer in northern Wyoming who moved an irrigation ditch. EPA comes in and says, that's a navigable water of the United States. We're going (laughs) to fine you $37,000 a day for moving an irrigation ditch. It's like, where in the world does this come from? Oh, no, Congress gave us that authority. No, it didn't. So we go to trial. Cost my client a million dollars in attorney's fees and costs. We won. After six years, two weeks of litigation, we finally won. But he still had to pay attorney's fees and all of that. But that's the kind of thing that Congress has even shoved more authority to these agencies by giving them that kind that's of power. The,
3: that's the scariest part of all of this is like you could be right and know you are right, but when you are facing, you know, the power of the federal government and an endless supply of money and litigation you could go into debt to prove that you're right.
1: Well, right now, so two things. We're th- almost $32 trillion in debt which doesn't account for unfunded liabilities in terms of the federal government. That debt has done a lot more, it's a lot worse than just being debt. It's covered up a lot of really bad policies, right? Because of what you just said. The federal government believes they have unlimited resources. So right. they never have to decide whether they're gonna sue Harriet or Michael. They're right. just say, we'll sue them both. <laughs> Whereas you and I, those are opportunity costs associated with decisions that they make and the federal government never has to choose so they can choose to fund a study on shrimp on treadmills and also sue my client over moving an irrigation ditch because they're not accountable to us and i would argue that when you give an agency the authority to impose fines of fifty-nine thousand dollars a day you've created tyranny Mm -hmm. that by definition is tyranny right Mm -hmm. and that's where we are in this country and those are the things that have to change Yeah, they have to if we're going to get our republic back.
3: Nice. Um, So, okay, that's where we are here in Washington, D.C. But things are are much better in Wyoming. I (laughs) want you I want to give you the opportunity for some shameless plugs. We're coming up the end of summer. Uh, A lot of people have been taking summer trips where should people check out in Wyoming?
1: Wyoming is a beautiful state. So in in campaigning over the last year, I've covered over 40,000 miles. I can imagine,
3: yeah, Yeah. not small. We're
1: the eighth largest state and the least populated. And every place in Wyoming is beautiful. If I had my map, you could see it. We covered every single paved highway except like 40 miles Wow! in the last year. it's been And some dirt roads, too. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, obviously, Jackson and Yellowstone are beautiful. But northeastern Wyoming, up around Devil's Tower, and there's a lot of beautiful ranches and beautiful areas around Hewlett, Aladdin, Sundance, where I come from down by Fort Laramie, the first fort west of the Mississippi, the old Fort Laramie is there, Mm -hmm. the North Platte River, the Oregon Trail Ruts, Southwestern Wyoming, you have Evanston, you have some incredible uh, formations, rock formations, the Flaming Gorge Reservoir, a 4 million acre foot reservoir for boating and and recreation, Central Wyoming, we have Pathfinder and Seminole again for recreation, Um, you've got the Sweetwater River uh, west of of, uh, Casper and out in that area, we've got the Red Desert, we have Pinedale, we have the Bighorn Mountains, absolutely beautiful. so
3: <laughs> a lot going state, on
1: my state is a gorgeous state
3: yeah it is yeah. I'm jealous I'm very jealous I've been there once um, yeah you know, in the Jackson area and the, and I mean the mountains are just picture. Mean, it's like something, you know, out of a picture. It is. You, you, you can't believe it while you're there. You can't believe that you can. This is this is really what it looks like. No,
4: I've also been there once and also to Jackson. And I just remember the first time that we I was there with my wife and my daughters and we walked up in the Jackson Lake Lodge and you see those gigantic picture windows. I mean, yeah. we just stood there and looked for probably I mean, probably a minute before we tried to figure out what we were supposed to do. It just it's breathtaking.
1: <laughs> it is breathtaking. And it is beautiful. One of the most beautiful, there are three beautiful drives over the top of the Bighorns, one through Ten Sleep, another through the Shell Canyon, and then the, the top one, the northernmost one through Lovell. Oh my gosh, we were there a couple of weeks ago. I think we must have seen 500 head of elk Wow. as we were driving over the top from Lovell over to Sheridan. So, wow. the, yeah. the, the,
3: the I think the Federal Reserve does their annual meeting there in Jackson.
1: They did. They uh, were there last week. Yeah.
3: I can see why they would choose that place, you know? <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah,
4: yeah, but it's also a gigantic state. And we were talking with Tim earlier about just how much time you spend driving from point A to point B. You could literally be four hours in the car between Seven. two meets. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't
0: even yeah. imagine
4: that.
1: Yeah, and there were times that we would be out on the road. You could go an hour and a half without seeing a car. Wow. wow yeah it's it's fun it's interesting but i really like being the least populated state in the nation so for all of those people out there thinking maybe we ought to move to wyoming look at nebraska (laughs) (laughs) or montana
3: (laughs) so um you know you you come to congress which i think obviously you're going to win and you're a great candidate what issues are you most excited to work on for Wyoming?
1: We have to figure out this issue on the regulations. Yeah, Right now, the regulatory burden in this country is a hidden tax of $2.1 trillion every year. On average, Congress will pass maybe 50 to 60 bills. We have 3,500 to 4,000 regulations that are adopted every year. It's crushing us, it's crushing our small businesses, it's crushing our ability. All the stuff we talk about in terms of supply chain, we talk about in terms of food production, we mm-hmm. talk about in terms of energy production, we're coming to the point where we're no longer able to produce because of the regulatory burden. As my brother says, we've gotten to the point where we can no longer continue to completely vilify everything that has made this country great and expect to have plenty of it. Mm. So we've got to work on energy independence. We have got to get back to energy independence. The reality is that uh, uh, our failed energy policy is failing around the world and it is is it it is empowering despots and dictators. Mm-hmm. If the only people or the only countries that are allowed to to produce energy are run by despots and dictators, pretty soon we're all going to be run by despots and dictators, right? Yep. I mean, if you have to call Venezuela on the phone and say, hey, can you ship a few more billion ba- million barrels of oil up here? <laughs> then Venezuela is probably going to be in charge. Same with Iran, yep. same with Russia, same with, with uh, Saudi Arabia. It's stupid where we are right now. Wyoming is the largest coal producer in the nation. We have 1.6 trillion tons of coal in the state of Wyoming. If we were to use it just at the rate that we are right now, we have over 4,000 years of reserves it's affordable it's accessible it's clean it's it it is it's the foundation of our prosperity oil and gas same thing there is absolutely no reason we should be impoverishing people today with the idea that we're going to change the weather 100 years from now Mm -hmm. that is a form of of um i don't know that, that is a religion that makes absolutely no sense and is comparable to the Mayans and, the, and, and what they did, mm-hmm. you know, with human sacrifice. Why would we sacrifice the well-being of three-year-old kids today in Africa so that 100 years from now people could say, well, maybe we, it, it's, a, it's one degree uh, cooler or one degree warmer? It makes absolutely no sense from a policy standpoint. In addition to which, it's just uh, that it, it's what we're seeing with what's going on in Ukraine. And now we see Germany and England are saying, everybody better buy more sweaters because this winter's going to get ugly. Why would our leaders adopt policies that increase the cost of food, housing, and energy? Those aren't leaders. Those are cruel people. It's self-inflicted
3: economic suicide. It is. I don't understand it at all, and and to your point about, you know... um, you know the the like mines in Africa where they're digging out the lithium to make these batteries and it's like you know a lot of these green new deal lunatics who are like you know we're going to make everything more expensive for Americans so that we can go and mine over in Africa and and change fundamentally change our energy economy i, I mean is that not part of the world too yeah you it's know, sick the, you know it it's makes no weird. sense and, and 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 so instead of us responsibly harvesting american energy you want Eight-year-olds in Africa getting lithium out of the ground. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's. Poisonous. These kids are getting cancer. It's. Yes. I mean, it, it's not safer than the way we do it
1: here. No. No. It's no. No, no. It's much worse. In fact, environmentally producing yeah. energy here, our energy is cleaner here. Right. But in addition to which, you bring up Africa. You look at the history of Somalia and Sudan and the Congo and all of these countries. That is one of the richest continents, mineral wise and resource wise, of any continent on planet Earth. Right. And look at the the generations of poverty that have been inflicted on the people that live in those countries because of these really bad policies. Mm-hmm. Why do we, number one, want to bring it to America? And number two, why don't we want to solve that? Mm-hmm. Why do we want to go through another famine in Somalia? Who would do that? Why would you do that to those beautiful little babies? Right. Why would we do that to the to the kids in the Congo? Why would we do that in Sudan? Mm-hmm. We can produce enough food. We can produce enough energy. But we, to use your term, the Western world has been on a mutual suicide pact for quite time some time and it makes no sense that has to be some of the things that we address i'm no longer willing to allow someone like joe biden Mm -hmm. dictate whether we can have gas in our cars the guy the, the guy's dang near brain dead in addition to which his policies are flat wrong yeah. And we have to be willing to admit that.
3: The, the other thing that you touched on, which I think is very interesting, and obviously your background um, is perfect for this, but talking about the regulations along the supply chain and how that impacts things like prices, going back to what you were saying earlier about um, the farmer that moved his irrigation ditch. Yep. And what people don't think about is how... The moving of the irrigation irrigation ditch, and then you know the EPA comes in, and you you know along the supply that food has to be grown, and then it has to get to market, and then you know you have to buy it at the grocery store or whatever. A- along the way, all of these barriers that the government creates increases the price that you end up paying.
1: That's exactly right. It's a form of forced uh, starvation. Yeah. So Sudan is an example. I In the early 90s, I had a case involving Sudan and so I learned quite a bit about the country and at the time, they had been in the throes of a civil war for, you know, 15, yeah. 20 years at that time. And what they did is they urbanized all their people. They put them in refugee camps. Mm-hmm. And so over 90% of the food consumed in Sudan had to be imported. So how 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 did the dictators keep control of the masses? Whenever they needed to do anything, whenever there was going to be an uprising, whenever they tried to fight back, they starved them that's what dictators do that's what bad governments do you never want the government in charge of your food supply Mm -hmm. yet it's not just the farming side of it we can't grow food at five dollar a gallon diesel Mm -hmm. and when 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 diesel prices skyrocketed this last spring i know of people who are not running their center pivots because they can't use they can't afford the electricity Mm -hmm. and they have left fields fallow because they can't afford the diesel so we are looking at a food shortage starting this fall and going into next spring and again it's not because we don't have the resources it's not because of drought because it's not because of global warming it's because of really bad policy and here's the thing in our go- in our country the government works for us not the other way around yeah. we shouldn't have a government that intentionally increases the, the price of fuel mm. that's wrong it is they don't have the right to do that and we've got to have people we've got to elect people who are willing to fight back against it and expose it for what it is
3: wow yeah Man, that's not a happy topic. Sorry. <laughs> no, Sorry. But it's true. It's true. It's true. And, 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 and the hardest thing about fighting back against this, I feel like, is, you know, the pain is the point for these radical liberals. They make things worse for people so they can offer themselves in this new transformation of the American economy as the solution. So they make it worse on purpose. They but do. You, you, you have to fight back against it because right. Washington is full of bureaucrats and special
4: interests who are looking out for the climate. Nobody is out there, nobody but elected representatives are out there looking out for consumers. That's right. And so somebody has to stick up for consumers. Somebody has to think about, well, what does this cost actually cost people?
1: Consumers and also citizens. Yeah. They're the ones that this is a government of by and for the people. And so that the government absolutely, it isn't just a byproduct. It's not an afterthought. We should be at the forefront of their mind because they're public servants. Mm-hmm. And I see myself that way. When I was campaigning, I talked about the fact that this was a job interview with a lot of people in the HR department, mm-hmm. and it, that's really the way that I looked at it. Because it is a matter of public servant. It, being a public servant, it's not about me. It, it's not about Joe Biden. It's not about uh, Elizabeth Warren. It's not about Ted Cruz. It's not about any one of them. It's about the citizens we're supposed to serve. And more recently, and I would argue it's in the last 30 years, one of the inflection points that I think changed the trajectory of this country was the election of the Clintons. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is not just because of bad policies, which there were quite a few, but they monetized the White House and they monetized politics. Mm -hmm. So presidents before then, if their kids walked in the door right now, you wouldn't recognize them. Whether it was Nixon or Ford or Reagan, you wouldn't know who their kids were but everybody knows who chelsea clinton is yeah everybody knows who hunter biden is right hunter biden monetized the vice presidency and where are we right now we're in a situation where we've got i don't know to what extent our foreign policy is being dictated by what's on that laptop or mm-hmm. other deals that he made but the fact is the clintons monetized the white house and they continue to do so they made hundreds of millions of dollars being nothing but politicians mm-hmm. what did they ever they didn't grow corn they didn't make pillows they didn't manufacture shoes they were nothing but politicians and mm-hmm. look at how wealthy they've become
3: mm-hmm. right and then, and then they left office and created that you know Clinton Foundation that that's became, the monetizing you know it just became a slush fund for all all of the foreign governments all the foreign governments and all these you know scams that they were pulling on country I mean remember the whole thing with Puerto Rico they yes. to rebuild Puerto Rico just, Haiti oh uh, mm-hmm. yeah just a grift an absolute grift um, so we got three questions we have three questions <laughs> and um we always ask three questions to all of our guests um they're fun questions but they tell you a lot about a person um question number one is if you weren't involved in politics um what would you be doing with your life and it could be it can be blue sky it could be crazy would never happen you could say you would be an astronaut Ted Cruz said he would play in the NBA. Yeah, no, I've seen him play basketball. We
1: well, it may sound strange, but I'd kind of like to be a truck driver because you get to see a lot of the world that way. And I like, I like to drive. Yeah. yeah. So I'd, I'd kind of be interested in a truck driver or a skydiver.
3: Wow. wow. So one of those. Two. Well, those are very different jobs. <laughs> one, one lasts very long and one is very short. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That is true. I like the truck driver one. You know, I'm a very type A personality so I always want to be driving not riding (laughs) shotgun you know just you get your hand on the wheel you feel more safe you know and plus you get a lot of time to think to yourself yes that would be fun yeah and you get to meet a lot of people see a lot of places you get to meet a lot of
1: people and you get to see things and I I just think we have such a beautiful country we do and and Wyoming's such a beautiful state so
3: you know John Madden um, you know the famous you know football coach and, and commentator he died recently um you know he was afraid of flying, and he 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 would took this uh, madden what was it an rV It was That's like an RV. a bus a bus, yeah, madden bus all across the country and he said the same thing yeah, he said, you know. You get in one of those RVs and you and you roll around the country, you realize what a beautiful country we have and what an opportunity it is to see it that way. You get to see more people. You stop in, you go to local restaurants rather than just flying from point A to point B.
1: Yeah, I like to talk to people. Yeah. That's probably obvious. But yeah, I, I, I gathered that <laughs> much. <laughs> and just going and meeting people at different places. And I think that would be that. I've always wanted to be a truck driver.
3: Yeah. Uh, so question number two is your last meal on earth. If you could plan it, what would it be?
1: Oh, I really like to cook. Okay. So I, I love to cook, and in fact, that's been difficult for me the last year. I've not been able to cook as much as I typically do. I like to cook for like 40 or 50 people. Wow. So if I were to have a last meal, I'd probably invite the entire family so I could cook for them too, and I would make, but I one of the things I really enjoy making is, is I take a, a rib roast, a prime rib, cover it in vodka, Wow. Make a coffee rub, rub all over it, and then do a salt crust. Take like twenty pounds of salt, and you make a salt crust, and then you bake it. And that salt crust becomes like a like a um, a terracotta pot. Wow, becomes hard. Oh, yeah, I've and seen so these. So then it kind of steams in there and cooks in there with all the flavor. Yeah. That would be one of my last meals. It would okay. have to be beef. This is, so this is a
3: this is <laughs> a standing great. rib roast. Yeah wow
1: yeah it's wonderful come out and I'll cook for you someday I I should be taking notes on this so (laughs)
3: vodka coffee rub
1: yeah I make coffee take coffee grounds and mix it with all kinds of herbs and spices Yeah, rub all over it and then you take 20 pounds of salt mix it with a little water and create this crust and then it turns really hard when you bake it wow and it's just such a phenomenal way of cooking it What, what,
3: what sides are you doing with this
1: well, um, how about mashed potatoes and carrots Perfect. with dill and butter and cream?
3: Oh, God, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds great. It's fantastic, And that's great leftover food, too. Yeah. You know, like you could eat that for a week. Yeah. Yeah. If you didn't finish it the first day. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking a holiday. You know, I'm, the holidays are coming up. I'm taking notes. Um, okay. So our final question. Um, and this one's a little tricky, so we'll explain it. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, what motivates you, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? And the, the 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 way we like to describe it is everyone's motivated by one of two things. Number one, you're, you know, you're the optimist glass half full person uh, and victory motivates you or the agony of defeat, which is more like your Michael Jordan, um, you know, who hates to lose every time they feel like they've come up short has stuck with them forever and they never want to have that feeling again and that's what motivates them to succeed so thrill of victory agony of defeat
1: you know as a trial attorney i I think it's almost even with both of them really because like yesterday i'm just absolutely over the moon because the judge was really really good yeah he was prepared he walked in he knew what the facts were he knew what the law was he was ready to go it was a three and a half hour hearing it was a blast it was so much fun, not just because I won, mm-hmm. but because I was in the room with what, what I would describe as a, as, as, as a stellar tactician, as someone who was really good at his job meaning the judge. Mm-hmm. And so I enjoyed that. And then throwing winning on top of it was fantastic, yeah. in part because I want to win for this guy. He's been treated really, really badly by the EPA and the United States government, and it's not right. Mm. It's just flat not right. And so winning for him and and winning for the the farmer who Mm. got nailed for moving an irrigation ditch because the EPA wanted to use it as a test case and claim it was a navigable water of the United States. Winning those cases is just absolutely beyond Anything you can describe, mm-hmm. but I can because you're can doing see, it right.
3: I can see also the agony, of defeat side of yep. that, where you're you really don't want to lose for that person.
1: Yep, I lost one for an irrigation district one, and I still think about it probably every three days. Oh, jeez, because I shouldn't have won. Yeah, and and what happened in that case was wrong. Yeah. and I don't if I lose because I mess up. That's one thing. Um, but this I, I shouldn't have lost that case and i don't like losing in part because when you are an attorney people are really depending on yeah, you yeah, yeah. and it's not just you it is what you're doing and with the kind of cases that i handle losing can have such dire consequences mm-hmm. for my ag industry or mm-hmm. my irrigation districts or my municipalities it just can have such dire cer- uh, consequences so it's it's number one it's very personal but number two it's a lot of responsibility
4: yeah and you can see the similarities with congress I mean, there are so many people depending on you now. I mean, yes. it's just it's a it's a very very
3: tough job, but really glad that you decided to do it. Thank you. Yeah,
1: thank yeah. you. And then that
3: was a really good answer. See, I like that question because you do you learn a, a lot about what motivates people. Yeah. You know? So if people want to help your campaign, if they want to donate, they want to get involved. Where do they go?
1: Hageman dot com awesome and they can learn a lot more about me we've got my writings we've got articles we've got videos we have our advertisements if you want to go there and and watch ride for the brand that was the very first uh, i
3: love that one yeah that you look really cool in that one like a badass you know the (laughs) walking the slow walking and everything (laughs)
1: yeah it was so cool that day oh my gosh that's the ranch (laughs) i grew up on wow so yeah. that's that's where I'm from. But hegemanforwyoming.com, and I would welcome any support, anybody if, if anybody's willing to do it. It's been a grassroots campaign. I will continue to be a grassroots candidate, and I will continue to be a grassroots congresswoman.
3: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Boy, she is, she is an exciting
4: candidate, uh, and there's a lot more to her than the media would have ever led you to believe uh, during the primary.
3: Well, and that's the incredible thing, is she talked with us for about 30 minutes. Liz Cheney didn't come up once. She's laser-focused on delivering for the people of Wyoming. Yeah. You know? She seemed to have such a
4: deep understanding of what people in the state are facing, and it's probably because not only did she grow up there, but... Her grandfather grew up there. Her grandfather's grandfather grew up there. Her grandfather's grandfather And she spent
3: And she spent her life fighting for farmers and ranchers, you know? And, I mean, she was talking about the litigation she's involved in. I mean, it's incredibly detailed, and it's the sort of thing, if you're from a state like Wyoming, you want people like that in Washington so they can explain how people in Wyoming live to all these bureaucrats and regulators in D.C.
4: She understands where the legal front is in the fights that these guys are waging every single day in that state. And I just... I mean, she seems like the kind of person who the framers would have wanted to represent their state in Congress.
3: Um, Well, I think we've done it. Uh, I think it's only appropriate that we have Hollywood Hen continue giving the sign out for today's program. Great idea, Hen.
1: Another banger of an episode, folks. So until next time,
2: Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.